thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody? And we are back at it with another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a man who is vegan, does CrossFit, and keeps it to himself, Mike <laughs> Vandebogard. Thanks, Joe. Uh, it is great to be back. Uh, had had some good couple of months here while we were off. Uh, I was actually out in Yosemite for a few days hiking, and uh, it was great to kind of recharge, but we did get evacuated due to the forest fires. <laughs> yeah, until you couldn't see anything from orange skies and smoke. Yeah, but it, it was still a fun little trip. Um, glad everyone's tuned in again. Uh, so, got a lot of house cleaning items to get to uh, since we've been gone a few months. So, first off, I'd like to just quickly thank all of our Patreon supporters. So, over the summer, we've we've gotten a few Patreon supporters, so I'd like to thank... Uh, and I apologize if I've gotten your name wrong. Uh, so Neil Brophy. We're, we're really good at that. Yeah, names wrong, so really, really good at that. So <laughs> uh, big thanks to Neil Brophy, Mikhail Yusuf, uh, Raul Gutierrez, uh, Watson, Jamie Blackwell, Kate Thackeray, and Laura Bemis. So uh, Lauren just one- Beams. Lauren Beams. Beams. I apologize, Lauren. Um, but no, really, thank you so much for supporting the show. We've also got some exciting interviews coming up this fall, so I'll go through a couple of them here. Uh, so a while back, we did a case on Laura Bradbury, and individual reached out to me. Their father was the lead investigator on the case. So we are in the process of setting up an interview right now with his father, and this will be an ex- this will be an exclusive too. This is the first time that he'll be speaking publicly about the case. He's never really talked to anyone about this other than his son, and we're really excited to to talk with him on the case. And he, um, you know, obviously he's apprehensive to do it, just because uh, you know he still probably knows a lot of the people that work out there in that the sheriff's department. But we are doing an interview with him. The episode should be live i would say maybe in the november to december time frame so just stay tuned we also did this was i believe our fifth episode so two years ago we did a, an episode on a gentleman who went missing in yosemite called uh, michael allen fissery a family member of his reached out to me over the summer and she was actually on the ground during the search and rescue operation and she she really wants to set the record straight on um, Michael and kind of what happened during that that search and rescue operations. Really excited to talk with her. Again, that episode will probably be live later in the fall or probably in the winter time frame. And finally, th- this one I'm really excited about, and I think I've mentioned it um, in the past. We are working with a Native American expert to, we're going to do an episode on, you know, kind of creatures from Native American folklore. And she is an expert on 
uh, Native American history and culture. She's actually Native American, and uh, she's helping us out with the research and actually will be doing an interview with us. So I'm really excited about that one for sure. That'll be great. Yeah, that's going to be a really unique episode and um, it, it, a lot of cool stuff with Native American history and culture. So I'm excited to do that episode. Again, I keep saying that one will probably be in the December to January time frame. We're still kind of working out the logistics of it. Yeah, what's nice is because of you, our listeners, we've been getting a lot more views. And because of that, a lot more people are reaching out to us that know things about cases. So if you remember early on, we used to say all the time, if you know anything about the case, reach out to us. Well, that's starting to happen now. So we're getting these really exciting, exclusive interviews set up with cases that we've done in the past. And even in some instances, newer cases Mm -hmm. and actual family members with the case. So thank you to our listeners for sharing it with your friends because the word's getting out and our content is going to continue to get better for you. Yeah. And we also have some really super exciting big news that we can't share with you yet. (laughs) But uh, We gave a little teaser on Facebook, but we, we, we are on a gag order about it but it's yeah. really exciting so i would really love to share more information about it but at this time we can't we expect um this what we're talking about to happen in the december january time frame maybe we're not quite sure yet but uh it's really exciting uh it it's really cool that our show will be a part of this so Stay tuned. Hopefully we Don't can... Don't go any farther, Mike. Yeah. Get us in trouble. <laughs> Hopefully we can share more more details soon. Um, I promise we're almost done with the announcements. Uh, I know sometimes people on YouTube and other platforms kind of... They they poke fun at us because we talk so long in the beginning. But they were. this yeah, is our first bad. episode back. Yeah, yeah, this is back from break. Too bad. You can fast yeah. forward. There's a fast forward button. Figure it out. Um, <laughs> but we still love all of you that listen. Um, yeah. <laughs> Also, even though we are back, finally, uh, we probably will be taking a pause for, I'm guessing, a month. I, I am getting married in the beginning of October, so I will be... Unacceptable. Unav- <laughs> <laughs> I will be unavailable for a few weeks, but we should be back in mid to late October with another episode, so stay tuned with that. Almost done with the updates. I'd like to thank strangeoutdoors.com. Uh, they, they helped us out with this episode, and... If you like the cases that we discuss in Locations Unknown, definitely head over to strangeoutdoors.com. They have a lot of articles on stuff just like we talk about. So they've been a great partner. We've partnered up with them on other episodes. So check them out. And finally, if you saw over the summer, our website was hacked and deleted. And we still have no clue what happened. But thank you to one of our listeners who brought it to our attention. We finally have a new website up. It's kind of a work in progress. There will be more features added to it, including I'm going to add a feature to allow people to suggest cases. So uh, I get a lot of emails and messages from people about different cases. This will be a great way for everyone to go to our website. If you know of a missing persons case you think would be a good fit, uh, fill out our little form and send it on over to us. Yeah, we're, we're going to build it better than it was before and yeah that's just another testament to how popular we're getting mike we get hate mail and people are attacking our website I know. We're, we're getting pretty big i'm excited about all i this. don't know if it was a hack or incompetence with the host i i don't know if i'll ever know but we have it was a hack because we're so popular yeah <laughs> so that right. <laughs> that is the end of my uh, updates all right everybody let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown 
The Pacific Crest Trail, a trail that spans over 2,600 miles on the west coast of the United States. Taking almost five months to fully complete, finishing the Pacific Crest Trail is a feat very few have achieved. Along the way, hikers experience the burning heat of an expansive desert, the stunning snow-capped peaks of the Sierra Nevada mountain range, and the tranquil beauty of the Northwest temperate rainforests. However, the PCT has a more mysterious side. In recent years, a string of unsolved disappearances have puzzled those who live near and hike in the trail. Join us this week as we investigate several disappearances on the PCT and try to piece together what happened. The Pacific Crest Trail, or PCT, officially designated the Pacific Crest National Scenic Trail, is over 2,600 miles long, 2,653 miles to be exact, and is aligned with the highest portion of the Cascade and Sierra Nevada mountain ranges. The trail is generally 100 to 150 miles east of the Pacific Ocean and starts just south of Campo, California, near the U.S.-Mexico border, and terminates on the Canadian-U.S. border on the edge of Manning Park in British Columbia. Famous sections of the trail include the John Muir Trail, Sonora Pass, Sky Lakes Wilderness, Donner Pass, and Badger Flat to the Little Willow Lake. The PCT passes through seven national parks, including Mount Rainier National Park, Yosemite National Park, and Crater Lake National Park. So, Joe, have you ever stepped foot on the PCT? I have not i i can't remember if we walked on it a little bit when we were in mount rainier i feel like we might have and i this last summer i was actually on the john muir trail in yosemite so you were on it in that part or was that not part of it i don't think the part we were on was part of the pacific crest trail okay so well, the pct was conceived by clinton churchill clark in 1932 it was designated a National Scenic Trail in 1968 and was officially completed in 1993. The PCT is also part of the 6,875-mile Great Western Loop. Now, it's estimated that around 700 to 800 people start the PCT every year, but only 60% usually finish. People might think, like, only 800 people hike the trail. Those are people that are only specifically planning to through hike it so there's probably thousands tens of thousands of people that hike sections of it sure but and through hiking for the for the listeners is any time that someone intends to start at the trailhead and end at the terminus mm -hmm. in one trip yeah now there's people that will do sectional hikes of it where over the course of their lifetime they'll hike segments of it and then complete it in segments. Yeah. And that does count. It's it doesn't count as a through hike, but it counts as finishing the PCT. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the, the big of the triple crown is doing it in one shot. So you have to be the type of person that's got five months off <laughs> of your life to, to just do that. Uh, 57 hikers have walked the trail more than once. So we're getting down to very, very low numbers of people who have done this and then done it multiple times. On average, hikers who plan to through-hike the PCT can expect to spend anywhere between $5,000 and $10,000, and this is according to REI, so that's in meals, 
gear, shipping, uh, things that have to be replaced. Yeah, anything that has to be replaced along the route as you're going. You'll find a lot of people will have things shipped to certain spots along the route so that you can pick it up when you hit that spot. Yeah, so a lot of work is sometimes placed on family members to make sure that they get packages and things like that uh, at the right time that they're making it to and from places. Yeah. Surprisingly, though, uh, with I, I mean, it's not like a ton of people have done this, but there's only been 15 deaths on the PCT since 1983. I would have guessed there would be more based on like the treacherousness of the desert sections and things like that. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, the first 700 miles, and I'll get into this a little later, are, uh, you know, you're in desert and... Then sections through the Sierra Nevadas are pretty treacherous, depending on the time of year you go. So it was shocking that only 15 people have died since 1983. Yeah. Uh, another cool fact, the PCT passes the three deepest lakes in the nation, Lake Tahoe, which we are just at for Mike's bachelor party, which was amazing. It was. <laughs> Crater Lake, which is the deepest lake in the United States, and Lake Chelan. And in total, hikers will pass more than 1,000 lakes the whole way. The, the PCT climbs nearly 60 major mountain passes and descends into 19 major canyons. 10% of the PCT is on private land, and a free long-distance permit is required to hike the PCT. So you do have to show the permit if you're being a thru-hiker on the PCT. Mm -hmm. So here's a fun fact. Fewer people have thru-hiked the PCT than have climbed Mount Everest. Which shocked me. <laughs> It's shocking until you think about it a little bit because the no the time commitment's the same, isn't it? It's like six months to do Everest. Yeah, I people yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the the reason is. I think probably Maybe it's like less work to do Everest. <laughs> I think Mount Everest just has that kind of adventure adventurous feel to it. To say you've hiked climbed Mount Everest is probably Yeah, if I had to choose between two as far as like, okay, I know I'm gonna make it. I would probably say I'd rather do Everest. I mean, I, I had to only pick one. I want to do both. Mount Everest. I is do want to do both. Vastly <laughs> more expensive. <laughs> oh yeah, isn't that? It's like sixty to seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, and I think yeah, it may take you five. And the success rate's probably really low too. Yeah, and it may take you five months to actually do the climbing piece, but I yeah. think to train to be physically ready for Mount Everest probably takes years. <laughs> so. Yeah, no thanks for that. No. So I'll talk a little bit about the different climates. We, we touched on it in the intro a little bit. The climate ranges from desert hot heat to high alpine hiking. So that can even require crampons and ice axes. So people typically time when they're going to start mm -hmm. based on the duration of the hike to hit different times of the year to make sure that they're not in treacherous winter yep. or the worst type of heat. So from April to September, temps range from the lows of 32 to highs of 86. You'll notice when we get into the three cases we're going to discuss, just think about the time, the times they were trying to hike the PCT. And I really think we'll get into it more, but I really think those when they went hiking factors into why they're missing. Okay. Mike did the research on this one. So I'm coming in blind to this, but just remember for the listeners now, the best times to hike is snow-free summer months, which is in April or May. So the elevation ranges in the PCT goes up and down. It tops out at 13,153 feet at Forrester Pass in the Sierra Nevadas. So it's not too high, just under the 14,000 mark. It's, it's well above treeline in some spots, but it's not like you're getting super gnarly uh, altitudes. You will be spending a lot of time in the Sierra Nevada stretch, though, up at pretty high elevation. I know altitude sickness is one of the concerns when doing a through hike. So just sure. keep that in mind. 
Uh, animals, uh, marmots, squirrels, chipmunks, rats, mice. Uh, there are eight different species of venomous snakes. So you have the Western Diamondback, Sidewinder, Speckled Rattlesnake, Red Diamond Rattlesnake, Southern Pacific Rattlesnake, Great Basin Rattlesnake, and the Mojave Rattlesnake. There are black bear and mountain lions and cows. <laughs> what? <laughs> Watch out one for the, those cows. Yeah, one of the things you don't think about when you're hiking out west is venomous snakes. When we were hiking Yosemite just this summer, we hiked up to Mount um, El Capitan. And on that short little like mile hike, <clears throat> we saw at least three or four rattlesnakes on the trail. And yeah, those can really, and you don't see them. They're, they're really good at being camouflaged. Uh, just yep. remember when we were at Zion after all the rain, yeah, all the snakes were coming out on the, on the path and we almost stepped on a rattlesnake. Yeah. And uh, you, I've never seen, uh, I've never seen someone jump that high. It was, I think Ben was in our <laughs> yeah. group and I think he got like a six foot vertical and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just uh, super, all instinctual superhuman <clears throat> jump. But yeah, snakes, when you're out there hiking is a concern, especially if you're off trail, if you're on the trails, it's easier to spot them. But if you're stomping around in high brush, you know, up to your knees or hips, you got to be really careful because you get bit by one of these. You're going to, you're going to need to get to a hospital to get the antivenom. <laughs> Yeah, quickly. Yeah. So then we'll get to uh, kind of more insects and other types of uh, bugs. There's mosquitoes, which can be more annoying. Scorpions, uh, they won't kill you, but they're extremely painful. I was actually stung by a scorpion in Florida, and it, it's really? way worse than a – yeah, it was way worse than a bee sting. But uh, nothing really happened. It's just really, really, really painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're allergic to them, obviously that's different. Yeah. You can get ticks, which sometimes carry Lyme disease or Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And then there's bees. So there's – I would say on most normal hikes, that's not a huge deal. But if you're in deep backcountry and you're doing something for five months, something like a bad bee sting reaction or if you get an infection from some sort of sting can really impact the trip and throw off all your times where you might have to be due 15 to 20 miles a day to stay on schedule. And if you get set back a few days, that could be really, really, really bad. Well, yeah. And for a scorpion sting, there really isn't anything you can do about it other than you're either going to have to stay in place for, you know, up to 72 hours to let the symptoms go down or somehow get yourself to a hospital where you can get anti-venom, but that you can only get that in a hospital. So sure. Uh, and most people probably will get stung and it just a really bad, it hurts for a bit and then it'll go away, but some do get pretty sick, but you're not going to probably die from it. Uh, plants. There are some poison oaks and poodle dog brush, things that can again, cause reactions, uh, inflammation and things like that that could hamper, the the route uh the terrain as we said it's desert high alpine mountains rainforest so it's it's a little bit of everything yeah which means that exposure is a high risk especially when you're in the desert sun or on the high alpines exposed to thunderstorms snow low temperatures and there is a lack of shelter because you're on the back country so you're going to be intense and things like that so uh and you'll be low on weight so it's not like you're going to have your normal body fat to insulate you from some of these things you're going to be losing a ton of weight and things like that so it's it's very difficult and it's why very few people do these yeah so uh with that mike i know you have some information on hiking the pct and then we're going to go into uh the first of these stories yeah so for people that are new to locations unknown we usually do a relatively quick location profile, and then we kind of dig into the character profile and timeline. For this one, we're going to kind of go through three different disappearances, uh, a little more quicker than we normally do it. But I thought it would be kind of interesting before we did 
the the different cases that I kind of just talk about the PCT if you were to hike it down the road. And I think a lot of people that do listen to our show are hikers and they they like going out in the wilderness. And I think this information could be kind of valuable to people that want to go hiking it. So uh, difficulty on the PCT, it's it's kind of all over the map. If you're through hiking it, you're going to get the easy stuff and the really difficult stuff. So you're going to be obviously hiking through desert for a good chunk in the beginning. That brings its own difficulties with exposure and having enough water. Then in the Sierra Nevadas, you could be hiking through snow and on, you know, cliffs and, you know, through scrambles. So you may need, you know, ice axes, crampons, things like that. And then the Oregon section, Oregon washing section is you're like on the home stretch. Oregon section is pretty flat. You're going to be going through some dense temperate rainforests and you can really pick up the pace there. So like I said, the first 700 miles of the PCT is desert. It's going to be hot and dry. You want to make sure you carry plenty of water. And if you pass a water source, you do not leave it without filling back up and drinking as much water as you can. Having too little water out on the PCT in this stretch is deadly. Um, It's not, don't think like, oh, I'm only going to, you know, need this much water. I need to cut back on weight. No, you bring as much water as you can. Um, we did this in Canyonlands when we hiked. You want to wake up early and get get a good chunk of hiking in before the peak sun of the day. So get up as soon as the sun sunrises early in the morning, hike until about 1130 and then really just find a shady spot and take a few hours off, you know, eat lunch, relax, rest. Um, when you're in deserts, you do not want to be hiking at noon. <laughs> it's the worst part of the day to hike. Um, so just, you know, have a siesta for a few hours and then maybe, you know, around two o'clock, you know, start hiking again and hike until dusk sunburn can become a real issue in the desert. So, you know, you watch all those old Westerns and you see cowboys with long sleeve shirts and pants on. They did that for a reason because they don't want to get sunburn. So (laughs) wear uh, long sleeves, long pants, and kind of a big, I guess, cowboy hat, um, you know, you want to make sure you have adequate clothing during this phase too. It does get cold at night and you can expect rain, snow, and hail probably more than once, even though it is a desert. So once you get out of that first stretch, you're kind of getting into the Sierra Nevadas. Now, most people that have hiked the PCT say this is the coolest part of the trail, but it's also the most dangerous. So hikers are high up in the mountains. They're on ledges, they're crossing scrambles, they may need to traverse heavy snow, so you're going to have to have some snow gear with you. And sunburn is an actual issue up in this elevation, too. So uh, make sure you have a lot of uh, sunscreen with you, lip balms, and polarized sunglasses. Um, yeah, lip balm is understated. I didn't learn how important <laughs> yeah. lip balm was until I started mountain climbing and getting sun exposure. It's incredible how that can change the dynamic of a trip. Yeah. Um, so in this section of the PCT, just slow it down, you know, take it, take it slow in spots because it's going to be pretty sketchy in areas to cross, um, cross creeks safely, depending on when you're going, the, the creeks may be flowing pretty good with a lot of snow melt. So just take your time. Um, one of the thing people really, uh, talk about is also altitude sickness. So some people at altitudes of 10,000 to 14,000 feet really start feeling the symptoms of altitude sickness. So just, before you go, you know, read up on what those symptoms are 
and just be prepared to uh, take action if you or anyone in your group is you know experiencing those symptoms. Uh, the final phase of the PCT is in Oregon, Washington, and this is generally the the easiest part of the trail, um, just because it's more flat in Oregon, and there's a lot of water, and it it is surprisingly remote though. So a lot of people say don't expect you know hotel stays in Oregon. You're going to be kind of you know backcountry camping a lot. So. And they expect lots of rain. Obviously, most people, if they've ever been to the Northwest, they know it It rains a lot. <laughs> so m- make sure to pick up some rain gear at one-year stops before you get into Oregon. So that is kind of a quick little summary of what you could expect on the PCT. So I'm going to jump in right, right into our first case. Our first case is a gentleman by the name of David O'Sullivan. He went missing on April 7th, 2017. He's originally from Ireland. Uh, he's a male, age 25. He's 5 foot 10 inches, 154 pounds. So he's your typical uh, adult male. He seems like, based on his weight, he's pretty pretty healthy, fit guy. He had brown hair, blue eyes, uh, clothing he was last seen in. He was wearing glasses. Um, there wasn't a lot of information on what he was wearing, but he had a very thick Irish accent. So probably if you ran across him on the trail, you would not forget him. And uh, Joe and I always talk about trail names. His trail name was Leprechaun. <laughs> oh, so he was very Irish. Yeah, very Irish. He's he's from <laughs> Ireland. If he gets that nickname, he definitely has a thick accent. So he had just recently completed degrees in English and philosophy at University College Cork. And he was inspired to walk the PCT after reading the book Wild. And I believe they made a movie out of that book, too. I haven't seen yep, it. Yep, with Reese Weatherspoon. From what I was able to read, he was not very experienced in the wilderness. People called him basically a novice hiker. But he did spend a lot of time preparing for the trip. So friends said that he... I, I'm not even going to be able to... Uh, say this name but he hiked the highest peak in ireland which is about 3400 feet carrying weights he even transformed his parents garage into a mini gym so he uh you know he didn't have a lot of hiking experience in america's backcountry but he was trying to physically um physically get ready for it by you know hiking with weights on and you know working out a lot that's more than most people do so he probably did yeah. his research and knew kind of what type of shape he needed to be in. So that I would argue that's more than most people when they do certain trips like that. Yeah. So he he had no experience in this location. He also had no alpine hiking experience. Even though he was hiking that peak in Ireland, 3,400 feet is not going to prepare you for, you know, hiking up at 12, 13,000 feet. So mm-hmm. very inexperienced. But it, it sounds like he did all of his research, so I'm assuming he had the proper gear with him. There wasn't really a mention of the individual items he may have been hiking with, but I think it's safe to assume that he probably prepared and read up on it. So he started off on the PCT on March 20th of 2017. So if you remember earlier, we were talking about the best times to hike the PCT you really want to start it in April, probably May, to avoid a lot of the real nasty winter weather. And he, unfortunately, is hiking a little earlier than I think I would. So weather definitely probably factored in here as we go on further. So 
He started hiking the PCT from Campo, California on uh, March 22nd. He planned to hike the entire PCT from the border up to Canada. So April 5th, 2017 rolls around, and he has been hiking for two and a half weeks when he found himself in, now I'm going to say this wrong, I think it's Idlewild. Yep. Sound right? So he found himself in Idlewild, uh, California, a small mountain town at the foot of the San Jacinto Mountains. Idlewild is a popular holiday spot. He spent the night at the Idlewild Inn, which is a family-owned hotel. He arrived into, uh, so this is a quote from somebody in the town. He arrived into this little town on the 5th called Idlewild. It's about halfway up the mountain, two and a half weeks into his hike. He did a few chores, got in touch with all his friends on Facebook, and contacted us. Everything was going fine, and he was leaving on the morning of the 7th, and he's not been heard uh, since. So he gets to this town on, what did I say, April 5th, and he... He's contacting everyone. He's, you know, getting kind of ready, and he set off, and that's the last time anybody heard from him. So, um, so there's no indication that something was going wrong, or no, there's any issue. No, no, no indication. Wow, only two weeks in. Like, yeah, he just started. Just started. Wow. Um, yeah. So, in in correspondence with his family, indicates that he had plans to hike the morning of the seventh. So he gets in on the fifth. He spends a day kind of just hanging out in the town. I'm sure it's a pretty cool little mountain town. And he planned to spend the night of the 6th and get up the set the morning of the 7th and start hiking. So it says that he had been waiting for an adapter for his Kindle to arrive at the post office and was consider considering waiting until it opened to set off. But he was concerned that it may interfere with the schedule. And he never ended up picking up the adapter because reports state that the retap- the adapter got sent back to the retailer. So, okay, so th- this I think this is an important I- indication of the type of person we're dealing with here. He was so concerned about his itinerary that he didn't stop to pick up something that would be like a comfort item that I'd say other people might be willing to wait around for. So he's not the type of person that will go off trail. And this is all speculation for me. This isn't something I know. But yeah. if he's that careful about his time, he's not going to be wandering off trailer doing things he shouldn't be doing because he wants to get a good start in this. And it's the beginning of the trip. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have a lot of that deviation when you're kind of fresh in mind, on the schedule, ready to go, in, in high good you know good spirits. And I think that's going to play a role into what potentially could have happened. Fast forward to June 30th, 2017. Now, this is kind of sad. Um, Joe and I always talk about this, and I'll go into what I am I mean here in a second. So he had arranged to meet a friend in Santa Barbara in May, but he never turned up. And Carmel and Khan called, so his friends were Carmel and Khan, and they called the PCT Association asking, like, hey, our buddy was supposed to be here. He didn't show up. Can you help us? And he was told... Now, this is according to the articles we read. He was told by the, the association that we're not a babysitting service and there's nothing we can do. So <laughs> uh, as a result, David was not officially reported missing until June 30th, 12 weeks after he had last been seen. So this is shocking to me. We always talk that the first 24 to 48 hours of somebody going missing 
in the wilderness is the most important time. Yeah, and that, that seems like a very odd response for the PCT Association. I'm only saying that because everything I've heard about them as far as resourcefulness and being helpful um, has only been positive. So I, I before we... And I know you're reading as you the research you got, so I know this isn't coming from me and Mike saying this, but my personal opinion is I wonder if there's a little bit more to this story than they called them and said, hey, our friend hasn't turned up, and they said, too bad, and hung up the phone. Yeah. That, that, that raises a red flag in my head as to, did something else happen? Did Carmel and Khan do something where they weren't asking appropriate? I don't know. I'm just saying as far as like, what elicited that response? Because you, 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 I don't see that as a normal response to a question of, hey, it's been weeks right. and we haven't seen our friend. What do you think's going on? So, And there wasn't a lot of information on the backstory with Carmel and Khan, so I don't know what could have happened between them and the association. I just get back to the fact that he wasn't declared missing until 12 weeks after he was last seen. This is troubling just in the sense that your best chance of finding someone alive is within the first day or two, especially in this kind of environment. Yeah. And in four months is like, or three months is a wide range of somebody potentially, if it's towards the end of that time, you know, how far did he get? Or was it right away after he left, uh, that's that small mountain town. Yeah. And you just have this giant area where he could be. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really hard for searchers when you have such, you know, hundreds of miles of trail he could have potentially hiked. He could have gone missing along any of it. So it's it's tough. You know, a search was launched in the Whitewater Preserve area just north of the San Jacinto Mountains, um, which would have been en route to David's next scheduled stop. So, it, you know, the reports go on to say, despite the use of helicopters, dogs, and ATVs, the search and rescue team came came up with nothing, with no evidence of foul play. There's There's been little in the way of official investigation since. So interesting kind of tidbit about this, too, are several hikers have called in eyewitness statements thinking they may have seen David at one point on the trail. But again, none of these sightings have turned out to you know be a positive confirmation of David. And most of the times it's just like a vague... Oh, we heard a hiker with an accent. I mean, there's a lot of probably foreigners that hike the PCT, so that's not very helpful. Sure. Yeah, it could be like a witness bias where they were in the area at relative to a time and they kind of want to be involved, so they might have seen something type of deal. Yeah, and there was even uh, it's been it's become known now that there were at the time there was a German man hiking the PCT that had a striking resemblance to David, so people might have been uh. confusing him. <laughs> So, okay. Yeah, that, that could be bad. And what we learned too in our, in our two part case, uh, was that a lot of times these through hikers get to know each other through their log entries. Yeah. And I wonder if him going too early hindered that potential as well of him not bumping into through hikers as frequently as he might've, if he left at the proper time to where we would have been able to understand more about his journey. Yeah. It, potentially. So fast forwarding again now to December of 2017, an aerial survey was conducted over the Idlewild area. The pilot, Gus Calderon, and mission specialist Richard McCright 
uh, overflew 88 square miles of both the mountain face and deep desert, taking over a thousand photographs of the ground below. Volunteers then analyzed these images in detail, looking for signs of David's blue backpack. Gus and Richard also used software supplied by Aeroscientific. Now, we actually talked about this kind of software in our episode about the Canadian gentleman that went missing in Joshua Tree. Yeah, the the PIO talked about it. Is like a, he, he mentioned it was like a mosaic almost. Yeah, so Aeroscientific's flight planning software and flight management system were used to plan the flight runs over Idlewild and manage the camera system throughout the flight. An aerial survey successfully acquired over 1,200 color images uh, of the area at 4-inch resolution, so really high resolution, and they run this stuff through a computer, and it basically looks for anything that's not natural. Yeah, and this is this is how they found Paul Miller, was using the software. It, it can take a while to process, unfortunately, but this is essentially how they pinpointed his location off trail and i mean they can find like a diet coke can in the on the ground i mean it's an amazing that's, tool that, that's crazy yeah it's insane so and and they've also been flying drones in a grid pattern over the area uh and you know people have been analyzing you know thousands of images for clues and up until you know recently nothing still has been found of david so uh it's it's a puzzling uh, case. Here's just some interesting notes I had on this case, and then we'll move on to the, the theories and on to the next case. There was a lot of unusual weather in this region uh, that year, with an unusual amount of snow for so early in the season. There are numerous trails up the mountain, with Devil Slide being by far the most popular, but just one day before David was last seen, a hike reported getting a mile into the trail before encountering snow and turning back. So, you have a you have a scenario here too where David is inexperienced, never alpine hiked, and a massive storm blew in the the morning he was setting off. So that's a that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, that that's a big red flag. And if he and this is again where what I was talking about before with his itinerary, mm-hmm. this could rever- have the reverse effect where if he's so anxious about being on time, he might push on along the trail when maybe he should be taking some time off and not doing that. Yeah. So it goes on to say, um, he had told other hikers he had no intention of hiking the snow and he did not buy any snow equipment prior to his journey. So, I mean, at least he knew what to maybe expect and Mm -hmm. he didn't prepare for, like he did kind of the opposite of what I do. If I know there could be snow in the area. I'm going to have snow gear with me, even if I don't plan to hike it. Yep. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if I'm hiking an Alpine trail and it could snow, I'm going to bring snow gear. Yeah. The weather but, changes in an instant up there. It's so gnarly. Yeah. And that, you know, just goes back to maybe his inexperience in Alpine environments. He did make a $70 purchase at a local outwear, uh, outdoor store, but the item was not registered, uh, at the point of sale. Uh, David was also using a half-mile map, which is a special map for the Pacific Crest Trail, and the map advises hikers to hike up Black Mountain Road when the snow present is, you know, when the snow is too bad to hike the other trails. Uh, final little note here: he had visited an ATM before he set off the mountain, but he only withdrew a little bit of money for his next stop, and there was a sizable amount of money that was left in his account and has not been touched since 
um, that transaction he made. So, uh, you know, it wasn't a situation of maybe he got robbed and was forced to empty, you know, empty his bank account or that he went missing and then down the road accessed his bank account. The money has never been touched. So, um, Joe, what what's your theory on this? I think I think um, based on everything, I think he was the more a more prepared candidate for doing a hike like this but i'm gonna chalk it up to inexperience and exposure i just think even with the with the bad weather and even though he trained and things like that if if this is the first time he's doing a hike like this and he's training based off of just reading books and youtube videos i just know firsthand when i'll read up and research hikes they're always different. Mm-hmm. Even if you're listening to someone who's gone on that hike, it's you what you end up learning after doing hikes for long periods of time over the course of years like we have is that, and just like you said, we kind of over-prepare. And I'm sure there's more experienced lightweight hikers that would make fun of the amount of stuff we bring. Yeah. But I feel like I compensate for my inability to go on these hikes all the time by living in Wisconsin by over-preparing for the worst-case scenario. And this sounds like he read all the right books, but was probably prepared for mid-level to perfect conditions based on the hike saying, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going this time. The weather's going to be like this, blah, 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 blah. As soon as that changes and he's not ready for it, that could spell doom right away. And my gut's telling me it was either a section there or had to do with the desert exposure in the desert would be my, my biggest guess. Cause desert hiking is just no joke. Even well, he, if you have an experience in it, he should have been past the desert portion at this point. But I, I generally agree with you, Joe. I think the, the number one theory in my eyes is exposure. I think he probably set off that morning and he got, he, he got up, you know, some distance on the trail and then the weather tar- started turning South. And even though, he wasn't planning to hike in snow. He didn't have the gear to handle it and wasn't prepared for that possibility. And I think maybe he got turned around or maybe he started getting hypo, you know, started getting hypothermia, which we know causes once you get cold enough, you, you start, you don't start thinking correctly. So maybe he, he wandered off trail or if it's snowing a lot, it may be hard to see what the trail is. Well, you think about, yeah, think about our listeners that are in snow states or anyone that's experienced it. If you get a six inch, eight inch snowfall, it's hard to walk through. Yeah. If you're not like in snowshoes or anything. So if you can imagine now you're in a mountain pass and you're getting a, a serious snowstorm, low visibility, high snowfall, you're getting exhausted, potentially off course because you might not be able to see any Karens leading the path or there aren't any uh, things like that. Again, if you don't have experience in that situation to know, all right, if I lose all my visibility, I need to stop moving yeah. and shelter until I can see again because going off trail is one of the worst things you can do. Yeah, and I think in this situation, I would turn around. I wouldn't even try to shelter in place. I think I would try to... Yeah, after that close to town. Yeah, just turn around. Yep, 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. you shelter in place if there's no better option, like, like retreating yeah. to a town. If you're 100 but, miles yeah, down the trail and you know there's no town within another 100 miles yeah then you you better figure out how to shelter in place and stay yeah, you warm. dig out pop your tent up and, yep. and you just wait it out so i'll just end with this uh, reddit user who lives in i i don't normally like to quote stuff from reddit but <laughs> this person supposedly lives in this part of california and this is a quote from them about this case this is really not good i live in southern california and hike 
sections of the PCT regularly. His last major contact was from Idlewild, so he was just about to hit the Mojave Desert. There's no overestimating how dangerous this section of the hike can be to somebody with no experience in the desert. So, Joe, you're right. He hadn't hit the desert yet. Yeah, and so even if you have this guy, he lives there, he could be being a little bit sensational about it, mm-hmm. but let, let's take him at his word. He hikes it regularly, and he's saying, hey, this is no joke. He's got experience there, and he's saying this is a very dangerous part, so now you have an inexperienced guy hitting that with suboptimal conditions. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I think this gentleman uh, succumbed to exposure, and like we've seen in so many of these cases, these areas of the the country are so vast that it really becomes hard to really search for these people when they go missing. Anything could happen. It, now, this doesn't mean that down the road somebody might not find his remains, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, exposure was the prime culprit here. Yeah, I think it just goes to show too that like it's kind of weird to think about we have wild regions of our country because we feel so connected. Like anywhere you go, you have cell phone signal, things like that. But there are still vast sections of the states where you can die from being outside and think places like this. And, and we see it all the time. So it's it's kind of uh, sobering, if you will, about yeah. that. There's still some very wild places that th- this stuff can happen to you if you're not overly prepared for it. Our next case involves a gentleman by the name of Chris Fowler, or he was better known on the trail as Sherpa. He went missing on October 12th, 2016. He was a male and was 34 years old. I don't have a lot of other information on his physical appearance. Uh, uh, you can go find pictures of him online, and he every all the pictures I saw, he looks like a pretty healthy, fit guy. So no no medical conditions that are, you know, visible in his pictures. So uh, it starts October 12th, 2016. He was dropped off near the trailhead at White Pass where he grabbed a coffee before heading towards the Canadian border to complete the last 366 miles of his hike. This was the last time he was seen alive. So he had been already hiked a good chunk of the PCT and he was really, you know, on the home stretch. So close. (laughs) Yeah. So October 12th, 2016. Now it's 5 p.m. This was the last time his cell phone was reportedly reported to have pinged a tower. So we always talk about this when people go hiking, even though you may not get cell phone reception out on your hikes or in the parks you're at, bring your phone with. Besides the fact that the phones these days take amazing pictures, if you do go missing, there is a decent chance that there might be just enough signal that your phone will ping a tower, which gives searchers so much information on where you could possibly be. At this time, it's 5 o'clock, there were reports of considerable amounts of snow and freezing rain that fell over the next few days, so that's that's not great. Authorities and volunteers, he must have been reported missing pretty soon from this time because authorities and volunteers started searching much of the trail between white pass and the Canadian border. Nothing was found. Uh, no, none of his gear or anything. So it says while official search and rescue teams under the Yakima Sheriff's department did initial search along the PCT from white pass. They also did uh, flyovers and road searches after the initial search. They 
primarily focused on the area surrounding Blowout Mountain, location of an unconfirmed sighting by two bear hunters on October 22nd. So you can kind of see the time frame here. So he was last, he last pinged the tower on October 12th at 5 p.m. And there potentially was an unconfirmed sighting on October 22nd. And during that time frame, there also was a search and rescue operation going on. So Blowout Mountain is east of PCT Mel. Uh, map marker 2354. It's 62 miles north of White Pass. This was uh, where he was dropped off. So fast forward now three years. It's 2019. And Yakima County, I'm ho- I hope I'm saying that right for anybody that lives around there. Yakima County search and rescue volunteers again conducted multiple search uh, searches of this area led by Sergeant Randy Briscoe. Fowler said another... F- 15 to 20 volunteers from what she calls her team behind the scenes uh, were coordinating an effort dedicated to combing through areas they they knew well. But again, nothing was found. So this is not uncommon in missing persons cases in the wilderness. There will be a massive initial search. And then sometimes a couple months later to a couple years later, there will be follow-up searches either as training exercises or uh, they're going back out there to try to see if there's any details they may have missed. So not uncommon. Of note, when Chris went missing, there was some severe storms in the area. So again, this, uh, you know, a lot of these cases have, uh, you know, they're intertwined with really bad weather going on, which I guess, you know, does make sense. Mm-hmm. They're saying that he, if, if he did get caught out in this storm, he, he may have been cold and tried to, you know, seek refuge in town. There were a lot of people that claimed to have seen, seen Chris, uh, mid-October, but a lot of these, a lot of the people that were on the search and rescue called these bogus sightings. So, um, there's not a lot of information that I found on my initial research of this. It, It is a really interesting case. And at some point I'd like to, um, touch it again. So just to recap, uh, he, he went hiking, he was real close to the end and there was some really bad weather when he was set back out. So I'll, I'll just go into my theory right now. I think he had an accident out on the trail during the storm and something happened. He either got, you know, hypothermia or he went off trail and fell, um, after I hear your theory, there is a, a person who lives in that area and gave a quote about what it's like. Okay. So I, I think it was an accident on the trail or exposure again. So you said the the storm the bad storms were like ice and rainstorms, so it was cold enough that you're getting like that sleet? Yeah. Freezing rain? Uh, can, they, the report was considerable amounts of snow and freezing rain fell the next few days after his cell phone was pinged. So the freezing rain... Yeah, the freezing rain is the red flag for me because snow is a little bit different because you're not getting soaking wet. Yep. If he's starting the hike into the night, in freezing rain, he's going to get wet immediately. You're going to drop your body temperature. I My guess is maybe not an accident, but if he, at night, again, it's notoriously hard to hike at night, Yeah. potentially went off trail and started getting hypothermic, I think I'm with you on the exposure. I think... 
the freezing rain, the nighttime hike is just kind of those, the domino effect, just one bad thing after another and they all fall down. Um, my guess is off trail somewhere in that pass because of the rain and, and succumb to hypothermia. Yeah, and it, that goes in line with what the authorities were saying. They're, they said he really would have had two options. Like I said earlier, he would have tried to maybe seek refuge in one of the nearby towns. Uh, the fact that he didn't do that, some of the authorities believe that he went off trail somewhere between White Pass and uh, Chinook Pass. So, All right, so maybe he set out assuming, okay, maybe I can just get through this one section and get to the next town, and then I'll I'll dry off and stuff. And at some point between that, it was just a bad decision of. And if you get that, they talk about this on Everest too, like you're that close to the finish line, you're going to start making bad decisions to try and get there faster. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was one of those like, he could have just stayed where he was because it's bad to hike at night, but it's like it feels like it's so close. You know what? I'll do the short leg, get over the next town, and get a closer start the next morning type of deal, and it just didn't go his way. Yeah, I agree. I And here's a quote from somebody who lives in the area, and their quote kind of backs up what we're, we're saying. So the quote goes, and it's a little long one here, so bear with me. So I've hiked most of the PCT in Washington, included – including the stretch between White Pass and Chinook Pass. Uh, it's not terribly terribly difficult terrain, but it, it is in the trees over rolling hills and has some big climbs and cliffs closer to Chinook Pass. He probably only had an hour of daylight so to hike, so I'm guessing his plan was to get on the trail, cover a few miles, camp, and make the call on his plan based on conditions. He was likely trying to do a big push day two to get up and over, the climb to Chinook Pass, which is around 5,000 feet, very exposed at the top, and get past the Crystal Mountain section near 6,000 feet, after which the trail gets progressively easier to hike and stays around 4,000 feet of elevation, and bailing out would be easy as a five-mile walk on any old logging road to find hunters to hitch a ride with. Most likely, he was hiking after dark with a headlamp on, lost the trail in the trees as snow filled up the trailhead, got disorientated, got hypothermic trying to set up camp, maybe fell or slid down a ravine or got wet in a boggy section and died of exposure. So you can see from somebody who lives there that if you were trying to do this at night during a bad storm, the chances are not on your side, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, so there's I, a lot of things going against you. Yep. So, uh, sadly, I think our second case, Chris Fowler, in my opinion, uh, it was exposure or an accident on the trail caused by the storm. Yep, I agree. I agree with you. Our final case today is a gentleman by the name of Christopher Stevens Sylvia. He went missing on February 16th, 2015. His, uh, he was a male, age 28. He was five foot nine and 155 pounds. So, again... Typical young adult, seemed healthy. He had brown hair, hazel-colored eyes. Clothing he was last seen in were dark was a dark-colored fleece jacket, green camouflage print pants, brown and black hiking boots. So he was explained, or people said he was a very experienced outdoorsman, and his mother mentioned it's very uncharacteristic of him to hike alone or to leave his gear behind, which... That'll become important in a second. I've never been a big fan of hiking alone. I know people do it all the time, but 
it's it's not yeah, something not a i like to guy. do <laughs> no i guess if i lived somewhere near a national park i'd probably do it but i don't know yeah. it's nice having a second person in case something happens so oh, absolutely our timeline starts for christopher on uh, february 12th 2015 so again hiking the pct not at optimal times like we said you want to hike it April, May time frame. That's when you want to start it. So he started his trek near State Route 74 in Anza. He planned to hike uh, southbound on the PCT from Anza to Campo before contacting friends to pick him up. He was expecting this hike to take him about a week. It's now February 16th, 2015, and he calls a friend and asks to be picked up the next day at a Buddhist temple on Chihuahua Valley Road the next day. Sylvia's roommate went to the designated spot at the agreed-upon time, but Sylvia never showed up. At first, his roommate assumed he'd just decided not to go to the temple after all. But later on, they realized that, okay, something's wrong. He's now missing. So later that week, search teams from Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties uh, searched in vain for four days before... Once again, weather forced them to suspend the search and rescue operation. Um, this comes from his brother. So his brother has posted a lot about um, Christopher's disappearance, and he also adds that there was extensive use of dog teams, choppers, and SAR personnel, but winter storms hampered the search. And this is, again, I hate harping on this, but it always seems in a lot of these strange disappearances, weather always hampers the search and rescue operation. I know David Politis yep. always mentions this in his books. Yeah, so like it, weather it, and weather and cave networks. Yeah, <laughs> it's like so, for whatever reason. <laughs> so all right, so now it's February twentieth, twenty fifteen. Uh, another hiker finds Sylvia's gear, including identification, sleeping bag, and backpack, laid out alongside the PCT near mile marker one twenty seven, not far from Mike's place. Despite a large search effort, Sylvia was never heard from again. So that's where this timeline ends. And don't read any, don't read the theory I put down. But what do you think happened, Joe? They found his stuff alongside the trail, like it, like it was like spread out, or like it was just like so he had left it there. It, it, it's, they said laid out alongside the, the trail, so I don't know what that exactly means, but let's just assume. All right, so you, you would assume if, if, they're, if they're quoting it, you'd think if it was, like, disheveled, they would have mentioned that. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming now. Yep. I feel like, all right, he, he doesn't normally go on solo hikes. Mm-hmm. His gear was abandoned. I feel yep. like he chose to disappear. Hmm. Interesting you I, say I, that. Mike. Yeah, because like he made a, bl- a bunch of conscious. Dis- Did he leave behind like a note or anything that would like make you think he, not, went, he went out there to harm himself? Not that was that I read in my research. So okay, and maybe he did. And yeah, it I just if you away. if I'm just going along like if I'm going along the reasons why he'd change up his normal routine, it'd either be because he's trying to get away from something or he wants to commit suicide. And I'm just going along. If he's going to do suicide, you you feel like he would leave a note and they typically don't want to be hidden. They want you to find the body and there'll yeah. be like a note to explain why they decided to do that. So if he's just gone, 
It's almost like mm-hmm. he ran away. That's that's or like to escape something. Yeah. That's, so that's my vote. My theory, uh, I I'm going with suicide on this one, and I will explain why. And it, it, okay, I came to that theory after, before that theory, um, I you know it was your typical uh, exposure accident, but he was he was experienced. He was an experienced hiker, so mm-hmm. I I don't think it was that. But I read a lot of posts from his brother, and. His brother had mentioned that Christopher had a long history of dealing with depression. And okay. he even back in 2006 got really drunk and tried to hang himself. Now this is this was posted by somebody who claims to be Christopher's brother. I have no other evidence that Okay, so if we're taking him at his word, he's had a failed attempt on his life. I think that is a big indicator that it potentially could be suicide then. Yeah, and he's been suffering with depression. His brother mentioned that after the incident in 2006, he hadn't gotten much better since then, and he had I guess he had just lost a job. And so it sounds like an individual who was having some issues and maybe like right before the hike he had just lost a job. Yeah, it sounded like from what his brother was posting that I don't know how soon before the hike, but at some point before hiking he had lost his job at a restaurant that he worked at so it sounds so like this guy like it's you got to look at it from the perspective of like someone who's depressed where that might not seem like a huge deal to somebody but if you're already on the edge and you feel like the world's out to get you and then that happens it could be like the straw that broke the camel's back so i'm kind of leaning more towards yeah. your theory now with that information yeah and i i don't like throwing out suicide as a theory lightly. I think in this case, if we take the person that claims to be his brother at face value, you know, long history of depression has attempted suicide in the past. And the fact that his gear was laid out on the, along the side of the trail, maybe he did leave a suicide note and it, it blew away or, you know, it's out in the elements. Maybe it, who knows what happened to it and they just didn't find it. The other thing people were bringing up in this conversation with his brother was, you know, they didn't, they didn't find his body. They don't know how he could have done it. I mean, I guess he could have taken, you know, pharmaceuticals with him or there's a number. We're not going to go into how you would do that. There's a number of ways that could have happened, but Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's odd. I think it's odd. They didn't find him. Um, but I don't. I think based on the facts surrounding this individual, I think that's a logical explanation. His brother also did say he was the kind of guy who might just take off. So he's. So that's he said where, it went that's be where out like, of, I keep going back and forth in my head, saying that like, okay, yeah, it's a high risk for suicide unless he just said, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna go start over somewhere. I'm just gonna like like I'm not happy. Maybe attempted his. He said he attempted his life while he was drunk, so it could have been just a bad decision when you're drunk and really down on yourself and he's just like, you know what? I'm going to go out in the woods, leave my gear and I'm just going to go and start a new life somewhere else and be somebody else. I feel like I like that theory better because it's not such a sad ending. Yeah. And his brother said it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. 10 years later, he would just show up again. <laughs> so, um, well, I hope that happens. I think I will modify. Yeah, I think so for this, this gentleman, I think, uh, you know, it's either suicide or he, intentionally 
left his stuff and just took off and he's living mm-hmm. somewhere else and hopefully he gets the help he needs and reconnects with his family. So yeah. that is, that's the three cases I wanted to talk about for the PCT. Anything else to add, Joe? <laughs> no, I would say thanks again for tuning into our show. It's great to be back and we truly appreciate all of you for listening and sharing the show. As I said in the beginning, All of our success is due to our listeners and all the fun things that are happening, especially the big thing we can't talk about yet. I can't wait to uh, (laughs) release that info. Uh, But please keep sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Uh, That includes liking us and following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Go check out our brand new website. We're going to keep updating it and use that that hacking instance as a way to rebrand and rebuild. Um, We're going to have Different hats coming out soon. We're going to get some pink trucker hats due to high requests from female listeners that they want a pink hat. So it'll be a pink front hat with black backing. Uh, We also have our YouTube channel that you can subscribe to for the show. Uh, You can see other video content. Mike will always post uh, National Park Service content on there as well. So support the show. Visit us on Facebook store if you want to buy some of the swag and, and the hats and the bumper stickers. Check out the Patreon account. As Mike said, we're going to be updating that to include swag. So our current Patreon followers, don't worry. We haven't forgotten about you. And go on and sign that up. And I'd say, um, out of the other than that, remember just when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or just taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. 